Good morning. Wow, what an amazing time. Um, so thank you guys. We've lost Beth. She's going to go and help with the, uh, the children's work now. But we've been having some fun. I don't know if you've seen all the bubbles flying around. Um, sorry about, well actually no, not sorry, even not even in the slightest. But <laughs> about, uh, about half of them were produced by me and, um, and I'm not going to stop. So if I get bored in the middle of my own sermon, I'll, uh, I'll start blowing bubbles again. We've been going through a season recently um, in this church of <clears throat> essentially seeing people grow. And I, I say that in a, in a multiple kind of different ways because the obvious one is we've seen people come to faith. So we've seen people meet Jesus. We've seen people healed. We've seen people restored. We've seen people plowing on with their faith. And as we keep reaching, <laughs> covered in these bubbles, um, <laughs> that'll teach me. Um, as we continue on this journey, we go through different seasons. And I need to encourage you not to stay in a season that you were comfortable with or a season that we thought worked before. Our challenge is to stay within the favour of God. Do you remember that? That was a few weeks ago. We talked about staying in the favour of God. Well, this season, I'm telling you, is a season of hospitality and a season of discipleship. So as we head into a season of hospitality and discipleship, I felt it really important that we understand the importance of hospitality and discipleship. Understand what it is, understand how to do it, when to do it, how to do it, maybe how not to do it. But the model is really simple. Let me give you a a couple of quotes. Uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a German anti-Nazi pastor during the Second World War. He was an amazing pastor. He led thousands of people to Christ. He reads many books, sorry, writes many books. So by all means, read up on this fella. But I've got a couple of quotes from him and another one. Now this is another week, isn't it? Where some of you might think to yourself that I spoke to Joel and Beth. Because almost verbatim, Beth quoted this in the worship. It says, salvation is free, but discipleship will cost you your life. You guys will, will testify. I told you that we were in a new season. And that we were going through the basics of the Christian faith. That was the only guidance I gave them. I never told them we were going to talk about discipleship today and I definitely didn't tell them I was going to do that quote which even I only found this morning. Salvation is free. Do you remember that? We keep going through it, don't we? It says you're saved by grace but you're saved for a purpose. Do you remember? It's our little catchphrase at the moment but your salvation is free but discipleship will cost you your life. Well, here's another one. Unlike Beth, you have to invite me back. I work here. Christianity without discipleship is always Christianity without Christ. Christianity without discipleship is always Christianity without Christ. Why am I quoting these these men and not just saying it myself? Well, because I've told you already. I've told you already. I wanted you to hear it from a different person. I wanted you to hear it from a different voice. I'm going to keep telling you, and if I ever meet this fella, I think he's dead actually, but I'm going to get him to tell you in person. Max Lucado, a uh, really famous American pastor, it says, in our faith we follow in someone's steps. In our faith we leave footprints to guide others. That is the principle of discipleship. 
Let me say it again. In our faith, that's us, we're the individual, we are following in somebody else's footsteps. That means we are disciples. Somebody has discipled us. In our faith, we leave footprints to guide others, which means we make disciples. They're going to follow after us. Do you know if you don't get it, discipleship is one of those weird words that we talk about in church. It's not used commonly in the outside world, so if you've been dragged up in church your whole life, you probably heard the word disciple a thousand times and not really given much thought as to what it means or what it is or how to do it. But in Christianity, a disciple primarily refers to a dedicated follower of Jesus. This term is found in the New Testament, in the Gospels and in Acts. So we talk about the disciples of Jesus, right? So when we say the word disciple, we think about followers of Jesus. Well, it was a much more commonly used word 2,000 years ago. In the ancient world, a disciple is a follower or an adherent, a learner, a student of a teacher. So Jesus wouldn't have been the only people to have disciples. Today, for example, if by your choice and your choice alone, you could describe yourselves as disciples. I'm teaching you something. I can't make you my disciples, and you can't make me yours. It's a two-way street, it's a choice. So I might say to my friend, would you disciple me? So I really admire your faith, I really admire your journey. I, I see there's some, maybe some similarities in what you've been through and, and what my life looks like. I'd love to learn from you. And then that person has a choice to say yes or no. It doesn't work the other way around. I don't get to come up to you and go, hi. I've decided I'm going to disciple you. It doesn't work like that. Would you believe it? I've had somebody do that to me. He's smoking because he knows who did it. Somebody came to me and said, I'm going to disciple you. And I said, no, you're not. But it was that fast. Discipleship is a choice. But it means that you choose to follow... Do you remember we keep looking at this, don't we? The different seasons that we go through, the different scriptures that we go through, we keep going through what does the Old Testament say, what does the New Testament say, and then what does Jesus himself say? Just for those really ignorant people that tell me we can't trust the teachings of Paul or the rest of the New Testament, well, what was the first thing Jesus did? In his ministry, the first thing he did was he went to a wedding and he did a miracle. Turned water into wine. It's the sort of God I could follow. But then he made disciples. And then throughout his whole life, his whole ministry, he continued to make disciples. Not only did he continue to make disciples, it's like a pyramid scheme. He told them to go and make disciples. And you say, yeah, so Jesus had his season. So he was, he was pastor, apostle, prophet, teacher, everything, son of God, okay. And he did it for three years. Then he retired, died. And then he, he handed it on to his disciples, right? Because that's what he does. Because we've got to make the most of our ministry and our life before we even think about passing it on to somebody else. No. No, that's not what Jesus did at all. Throughout Jesus' ministry, he gave himself. Now remember, his disciple was God himself. God his Father. But did you ever ask what Jesus did during those 30 years? The kids at the Nativity will tell you that he trained to be a carpenter. 
How about when we hear about Jesus for the first time as a boy? Not as a baby, I mean as a boy, where was he? Thank you, man, we've got some good Bible teaching in this church. Yeah, we, he, was, he was at the temple. Why was he at the temple? He was listening, and he was learning, and he was debating, and he was discussing. Do you know, later on, even when he's an adult, people refer to him as what? Rabbi. Now, Rabbi, maybe we think, well, maybe, maybe Rabbi, I'm a Christian, I'm not a Jew, but maybe Rabbi means a bit like pastor. So maybe if we were Jewish, maybe we would call Tim, Rabbi, and maybe we would call Ricky, Rabbi. But it's not as simple as that. In the Jewish culture, they had to go through a process. And for the first 12 or 13 years of their life, they went through a season of training and teaching, and then they were tested. And if they failed the test, they went off and they became fishermen, or carpenters, or house builders, or farmers. And then they continued again for another season of learning, and of debating, and of being taught. And then they were taught in their, their early 20s. And again, they were tested, and if they fell short, they were sent away, and they would become this like hierarchical system within the faith. So already we're at the creme de la creme. They've had 20 odd years of teaching in the faith. But when you became 30, you continued to be taught. And at 30, if you were still the creme de la creme de la creme de la creme, the top of the bunch, the most intelligent, the most knowledgeable, the most gifted, the most talented, you would be given the status of rabbi. Because that meant you could then continue to teach others. That's not even my notes. It's the anointing. It's not. It's just good to understand. Jesus had other teachers. The Son of God himself humbled himself to go to temple. Do you know, I think it's 14 times in the New Testament it refers to Jesus going to temple. Do you know, if it's good enough for him, it's good enough for me. This is our temple, right? This is where we meet together in fellowship. If it's good enough for him, it's good enough for me. And then he started to make disciples. And when he made disciples, he told them to go and make disciples, even as early as Mark 6. And for some of you, you, you may not know the Bible so well, but in Mark 6, it says, Calling all twelve to him, he began to send them out two by two and gave them authority over an impure spirits. So these were your instructions. Take nothing for your journey except a staff, no bread, no bag, no money in your belts. Wear sandals, but not an extra shirt. Whenever you enter a house, stay there until you leave that town. And if any place will not welcome you or listen to you, leave that place and shake the dust off your feet as a testimony against them. Mark 6, chronological order, is quite early in Jesus' journey. So he made his first <clears throat> batch, generation, team. Come on, what's the 2019 terminology here? Crew. Crew. Gang, no, you're going back to the 80s, not allowing it, right. He trained them, and then he sent them. And then he retired, he died, no he didn't. He trained some more and he sent them too, and he trained them and he sent them too. And you know what, they came back and he gave them feedback. They had little um, referral forms and they said, well I did this in this place and it didn't work, what could I have done differently? He said, out of 10, how did you find this week's training? And they, they always circled 10 because it was Jesus. And on the smiley face scale, it was always a smiley face or sometimes a frowny face if they had to dust their feet off. If you think about it like this, let's put the destiny of the church, and I'm not talking about Living Word Community Church now, I am talking about the church of 2019. Our entire generation, our entire legacy, 
our entire inheritance and give it to Bart Simpson. The wise, the wonderful 11-year-old boy who must be in his 40s by now because he's been 11 forever. Who was once quoted in saying, I don't know if God is real or not, but what I'm going to do is the second before I die, I'll give my life to Jesus. Because then I can do whatever the hell I want. Live this lavish life that I want to live. I'm not going to name it all. And then right at the last minute, I'm going to place my bet and go to heaven. Well, we don't know when we're going to die. So take the whole church of 2019 and place the Bart Simpson bet. And say, I am not ready to hang up my boots. Therefore, because I've misinterpreted scripture, I am not going to make disciples. Because I am not ready to stop doing what God has called me to do. I have a purpose. I have a vision. I have a dream. God has called me. Yes, he has. He has called you to make disciples. My God is a God of multiplication, not a God of division. He is not asking us to train a generation so that we can hang up our boots. He is asking us to train a generation so that we can multiply. Imagine what the twelve would have done if they didn't make disciples. Imagine what the first five thousand would have done if they didn't make disciples. There are three million Christians in London alone. Imagine if they didn't make disciples. Do you know what happens? I can't actually remember who said this. It's a very famous quote. We are one generation away from extinction. If we do not make disciples, the church dies. If we do make disciples, the church multiplies. In business terms, if you are not moving forward, you are moving backwards. Did you know there's a very established system within business that says you cannot stand still? Whereas all my business people, you should be nodding away at this. There is no such thing as staying in the same place. You are either growing or you're shrinking. You can't do, uh, uh, we're happy where we're at, we're going to stay where we're at. In the kingdom of God, even more so. So what does Jesus say about this? We're not going to talk about the Old Testament, we're not going to talk about Paul. We're going to talk about Jesus himself. Obviously, you know, we're going to talk about my favourite Bible verse. Matthew 28. It says, go into all the nations and make disciples. It it has an open bracket in my version because I've written it so many thousand times. It says, starting with this one. The nation of Basildon. And the nation of England. And then the nation of Great Britain. And then the nation of Europe. Don't get onto it. And then the nation of Africa. And then the nation of India and Asia and Australasia. I don't care if they're on the moon. We'll have the nation of the moon as well, but it starts with this nation. It says go to all nations and make disciples. One of my biggest bugbears when I preach on Matthew 28 is people talk about it in relation to evangelism. Go and tell everybody about Jesus. And then they come up to me afterwards and they go, but that's not what it says. It says make disciples. And it tells me that you've misunderstood what discipleship means. Because what you think it means is not what it means. It's a much bigger word. It does mean 
to get alongside somebody, a younger Christian. So let's do that journey together. Or more importantly, asking an older Christian. I'm not talking about your physical age, I'm talking about your spiritual age, your maturity, and saying, can I walk this journey with you? And even, like, there's several pastors here today, okay? And even we will go to one another and say, this is not my area of strength, can you help me? Yesterday we had Chris Williams come to us as a worship team. We humbled ourselves and said, we need some help. We need your guidance. Can you come and can you help us? And he did. Today we have Joel and Beth with us. We've humbled ourselves and said, we need your help. Maybe one day they'll do that back. But that's not what it's about. It's about serving one another. That's why we choose to be in a community. So it doesn't matter how established you are as a Christian. It's not like a two-tier system of once you've been doing it a while, you kind of get promoted and you become a discipler. No, 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 no. We're always going to be following somebody's footsteps and we're always going to be leaving footsteps for somebody else to follow. Do I see that in this church? I'm going to let you answer that. But discipleship does mean that. But it also means to share the gospel. Do you know, in Mark's translation, we only ever read the Matthew 28 because it's, it's literally somebody... They, they wrote it, didn't they, in the Bible and said, we're going to call this the Great Commission. So that's the one we always quote. But if you look in the different Gospels, the version of the story is there. In Mark's version, he said to them, go into the world and preach the Gospel to all creation. That's Mark's account of the event. They're not contradictive, they're the same thing. They have kind of different focuses and different emphasis, and that's why we have four Gospels, because we can see it from four different perspectives. So when Matthew 28 says, go and make disciples, it does mean, does mean, underline, full stop, that's it. I'll debate it with any of you. We can have those conversations, I'm okay with that. It does mean, let's go and share the gospel with people. It also means, let's make disciples. Let's walk alongside each other. Let's do life together. Can we do that as individuals? Yes. Can we do that in groups? Yes. Our new home group system, whether you call it pastoral care, whether you call it home group, Whether you call it discipleship, I don't care what you call it, it is discipleship. This is about doing life together. So if we know that Jesus wants us to do it, let me just give you one more. 2 Timothy 2.2. This is a Paul. This is not a Jesus. He says it very clearly. This is like the second generation. This is the disciple making disciples. We're already one step on. It says, and what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. So here he is, Paul, my favourite. Okay, I like Paul. I know some of you don't in terms of his teaching. I don't really care. The ascended Jesus chose him, knowing his past, knowing his future, and knowing his experience. If Jesus, the ascended Jesus, can pick him, I'll listen to him. So Jesus has made him a disciple. He goes to the other, no, we now call them apostles, don't we? But they were disciples. He said, I've changed. He was discipled by them for a bit too. Then he started to make other disciples. And one of the things he wants people to catch is that you have to make disciples too. And then they have to make disciples. And then they have to make disciples. And then they have to make disciples. So although Jesus didn't say that one, it came from the guy that Jesus picked. Remember that when you used to be in a football team? You had to line up. Do you still do that in school where they go, pick a team? I was always last in football, first in rugby. I can't imagine why. But Paul was the one that Jesus picked. 
If it's good enough for him, he's good enough for me. So we know why we've, we know what we've got to do. Do we know why we've got to do it? We've talked a lot in this church recently about the gospel. We've talked a lot about hope. In fact, I think the last three times I've preached, I've used the story of the little boy. You must all be able to recite this now. The little boy on one side of the fence and God on the other side of the fence. Well, some of you haven't been here for the last three weeks, so let me tell you the story again. There's a little boy on one side of the fence and God is on the other side of the fence and there's a big tunnel. And God can come through and see the little boy and the little boy can come through and see God. But then the little boy starts to eat rubbish and do rubbish in his life and he starts throwing the litter in the tunnel until the tunnel comes so full of rubbish that God can't get through to the little boy and the little boy can't get through to God. Disaster. So God sends his son. Creates a little bridge. Actually, in the analogy, what he does is he comes to clear out the tunnel so that the little boy can get back through to God and God can get back through to the little boy. The Bible would have been a lot shorter if I'd written it. It's the gospel. We live in a horribly broken world. Beth's story brought me to tears. It's one of the advantages of sitting at the front is you guys can't see when I cry. What a story. How can an eight-year-old child get leukemia and die? How can a baby die, an unborn baby die? Why is there murder? Why is there rape? Why is there child abuse? I can say all these things because we're all, we're all grown-ups here, right? regardless of our actual age. We're all grown-ups here. We're mature enough to hear that stuff. We live in a broken world. And one of the first things I ever told you when I came down here was just to take all that brokenness and imagine that God doesn't exist. The brokenness still does. All those things will still happen. The pain and the suffering, the cancer, the death, the rape, the murder, the bank robberies, Bristol Rovers, Arsenal, all the evil in the world will still exist. But at the end of time, it still exists. If my God is real, and he sent his son to die for us and clear out that tunnel. That stuff still exists. You weren't expecting me to say that, were you? But it does, and it always will. But there will be healing. And there will be relief. And there will be rest- restoration. And there will be reconciliation. There is hope. If we walked past a man on the street who was starving, and you had a sandwich, you would give him the sandwich. Yes? Yes, was the answer. If you walked past a man who was starving on the street and you had a sandwich, you would give him the sandwich. There are tens of millions of people out there who are starving. They're dying and they're suffering. And you've got a sandwich. You've got the truth. (coughs) Let's go share it with them. There are hundreds of thousands of people here. Remember, this is not Living Word Community Church. This is the church of 2019. There are hundreds of thousands of people here who are starving. And you have the sandwich of discipleship. 
You have the gift, you have the calling, you have the experience, you have the pain, the heartache, you have the testimony to share it with them and help them and do something for them. But we don't because we don't understand the concept of discipleship. Go into all the world and make disciples. Sounds so easy. Practically it's very hard. I was playing a silly game with a friend yesterday. It's a card game, playing schools. And they have questions written on them. And they're supposed to make teenagers think about the, the tougher side of life. And one of the questions is, if you could give mankind one thing, what would you give them? Now, of course, this is designed for churched and unchurched kids alike. So you get answers like world peace and the cure to cancer and all of those things. And, of course, the pastor answered the gospel. The gospel. I will commit my life, and if you know me, you know I do, to go into Africa or India or America. Do you know the really poor countries in the world? Sorry, he's American. And Basildon, that nation of Basildon, that nation of London, that nation of the UK. And we'll help the poor and we'll feed the hungry. And we'll, we'll try and take them off the streets, the work of 58-7, or those that are sick, the work of Woodbury Court. And we'll work the gospel in many, many different ways. Loads of street pastors here and school pastors here today. And we can, we can work the gospel in that way so much that that's great. But you can feed their bellies and you can feed their minds. If you don't feed their souls, they're going to die. And when I saw that card, the only person that I could think of was my brother. Who, when growing up, prayed to God. Said, if you're real, you'll stop the bullies. And they, they, were, they were horrific. They really were. I was, I was a much bigger brother, which you'd think would help. It doesn't help, because when you're an adult, you can't go and beat up a 15-year-old. You're to prison for that sort of stuff. So if anything, I wish I was the same age as him, because then maybe I could have done something about it. But I couldn't. The bullying was so horrific that he wanted to take his own life. So he did what his whole family did. He prayed. But the bullying didn't stop. By definition, remember the prayer was, if you exist, stop the bullying. The bullying didn't stop, therefore God doesn't exist. So my 23-year-old brother now, who needs Jesus more than anyone else I know on the planet, won't revisit the question, won't revisit the prayer. And there is nothing I can say and nothing I can do, because I've tried it all, that's going to persuade him. But I can still walk that gospel with him. And I can pray for him. And I can already see in your faces, your eyes are going, you're looking at those faces now, you're looking at those names now, aren't you, in your own lives, and saying, these are the people that, I don't want to see them burn in hell. Uh-oh, we said the thing we're not supposed to say in 2019. I don't care. I want you to have the truth. I want your families to have the truth and your loved ones to have the truth. Heaven is real, so is hell. Accept Jesus and we're going to all eternity. We're going to live in peace and restoration and healing. And actually, you get, Vladimir preached on it a few weeks ago, we get some of that here too, right, brother? It's not a perfect life here. I wish it was, but it'll get better. But we have that promise of all eternity. There's um, a thing that I've not shared with any of you. It was the very first word the Lord spoke to me when I came to Basildon. <clears throat> it was actually before I even left rugby and agreed to come here. 
I've told you in the past that my first word was, if you preach the gospel, I'll bring people to you. And, you know, we see the testimony of that, right? We're all sat here now. We started to preach the gospel and people started to come. But the reality is that there was a, a private word, a personal word spoken to me. And I don't know whether it was because of my personality or my character. I've always been a kind of all-in kind of guy or an all-out kind of guy. Got told off yesterday for saying something quite extreme. Still don't retract it. Still mean it, every word of it. But I'm an all-in kind of guy. And, and as such, I don't really know why this word came to me. But, and none of you will ever see it because it's in my bedroom. But I've had it printed on my wall at home. So it's the first thing I ever see in the morning. Because when I've done a, a degree in the past, or diplomas, sometimes I, I'm okay with a pass. Sometimes I don't always want the distinction or the, the first. I'm okay with a pass. Especially if I get busy and something more important is going on in life. Well, I've had this printed on my wall. Why? Because I'm a Bristol City fan, so I can, I can tease Bristol Rovers and Arsenal all I want. We haven't won anything ever. <laughs> ever, and probably never will. So I had to have this thing printed on my wall. Because half measure isn't enough. 95% isn't enough. 99.9% isn't enough. Do you know why? Because Jesus himself said to me, this is someone's eternity. It's not your eternity we're talking about here. It's not my eternity we're talking about here. Ricky, if you do this, you all know the story. Even the guys that don't come from here know the story because everybody knows that. I told everybody. The Isaiah 6 moment. Okay, God, I give up. Here I am, send me. The catch-all, the little bit at the end, was don't just go and do this. The stakes are way too high. There is a joke in football that says it's not about life and death. It's more important than that. And it is, football. Um, but the one thing more important is this. If I was, and some of you will know, because I believe in the power of the Holy Spirit, my dream is to pray for a dead person and to see them come back to life. I've seen people healed, I've seen people restored, I've seen people saved, but I've never raised somebody from the dead. Have you? Man, I, I want to raise somebody from the dead because I want to accept all the promises that Jesus gave us. And he said, and he did, by the way, didn't he? He raised loads of dead people. And he said, anything I have done and you will do even greater things so I need to catch him up first I'm looking forward to the even greater things I want to raise somebody from the dead it's the thing I want most in my Christian journey it's the most thing I want most in my life but still if I was stood next to a dead body and given the choice do you want to raise his physical life or do you want to make sure he's in heaven I want to make sure he's in heaven my brother drops down now of a heart attack. I love my brother. He's a proper little weirdo. Please leave that on the recording. I hope he hears this. He needs to hear this. He needs to hear that he's a proper little weirdo as well. He's got uh, long hair. Like, if you met him, he doesn't look like me at all. You'd think he was... Nothing wrong with people with long hair. So. <laughs> Oops. <clears throat> Total accident, sorry. But, you know, like, he, he's got a whole different life perspective to me. I hope he hears this. 
But he drops dead now. And I get that choice of raising him back to full health, full restoration, or seeing him saved. I want to see him saved. The stakes are higher. So there's your light, airy message for you Sunday. This is somebody's eternity that you are messing with. Get rid of your fear. God conquered fear. Jesus conquered fear. When he died for you, he conquered fear. Get rid of your anxiety. God conquered your anxiety. I'm not talking about your your medical condition anxiety or your stress. That stuff, we will walk that journey with you. We will pray for you. We understand that there might be times where we need medicine to help or counselling. I'm not diminishing that. I'm saying if you have an anxiety over sharing the gospel, now is the time to get rid of it. Get rid of your ego. There's a, a really famous Bible verse that I talk about an awful lot. He challenged me on it over the summer. And it was when Moses had put up with these Israelites for thousands of years. <laughs> Probably only 40, right? But thousands of years, these moaning Israelites who saw a pillar of fire by night and a pillar of smoke during the day, who saw God himself descend on a mountain, miracle after miracle after miracle after miracle, and still continued, continued to complain. And say, well, why did you bring us out of Egypt? We had meat in Egypt. <laughs> why did you bring us out of here? Why did you bring us out of here? God would get angry and Moses would beg for his forgiveness. And every time he would do it, do you know there was just this one time that Moses forgot that this was about somebody's eternity. It's when they were complaining about water. We don't have any water to drink. So God says, go and strike that rock and water will rush out of it. The only thing you have to do, sorry, this is the Bible version of Ricky, I'm paraphrasing this horribly. But all you have to do is give glory to me. And Moses stood there and he struck it and he said, Do I have to do everything for you? The water still came gushing out. But God said to Moses, You're not coming to the promised land. Get your egos out of the way. You see one person saved, you see a thousand people saved. You didn't do squat, you were obedient. He calls us to be his co-worker. Get rid of your ego. I don't care if I'm the next Billy Graham or I'm the guy who saw Billy Graham saved. Do you know the evangelist who saw Billy Graham saved? Didn't save that many people. But can you imagine the reward that you would have in heaven? Do you know his name? Shh. Just thought some of you might. That wasn't really the point of the question. No, we don't, because it isn't really important. What was important is that people heard the truth and their lives were healed, restored and they're going to be in heaven. Because the important thing is that this is their eternity. Get your egos out of the way. Get rid of, we talked about it last week, get rid of your insecurities. I can't make disciples because I'm still doing it. And if I do it, then, then I make you my disciple, then you might take over the church and then I've got a job. Oh, rubbish. Or we could believe that God is a God of multiplication. We have two churches. That'd be good, wouldn't it? Discipleship is important. This is somebody's eternity you're messing with. So we're done. I'm going to pray that for you if that's okay. Um, we are in this season.
whether we like it or not. It's not a choice. But we will be making disciples in both senses. Where did Jesus do it? He did it around the table most often, didn't he? Did it through friendship? Did it through relationship? Do you know when you sit in front of these talented musicians, you think to yourself, wouldn't it be good if we had like a tent mission? We could do like a whole weekend, put up a big marquee in there, send out some posters, go flyer in and around, and we invite these really talented people down. And we just invite all of our friends and all of our families in complete expectation that the Holy Spirit will turn up. Yeah, that would be a good thing. But nine times out of ten, that's not how it works. How it works is that you go to your friends and your family and you tell them that you're saved. Revelation 12, people, the battle was won by the blood of the Lamb and the power of your testimony. So tell your friends what happened to you. And their lives will be transformed. Sorry, I'm deliberately picking on a few people now. But tell people what happened in your life and they will be saved. We are in this season. Like it or lump it. We're going to like it. Heavenly Father, I thank you for all of the things that you've done amongst us. Lord, I thank you for everyone in this room that has made that choice for you. Lord, that we've heard the truth. That we've believed in our heart and confessed with our lips that you are Lord. Lord, that we repented and we got baptised. Lord, we have a big, big request. Lord, we want to see that multiply. Lord, I, I want my brother. His name's Matthew. I'm not even going to keep it a secret. I want to see my brother saved. I want him to hear the truth. And I want to see him believe in his heart and confess with his lips. I want it to be the biggest miracle I've ever seen. Lord, I want every one of their brothers, sisters, daughters, nieces, nephews, cousins, husbands, wives, parents, grandparents, next door neighbours, lifelong friends, whoever it is that has just come to their mind, Lord, we need to see them safe too. Lord, you have promised us that when we strike that rock by preaching the gospel, that you will bring them to us, that that living water will flow from that rock. So Lord, here we are. We're going to strike that rock. We're going to give all glory to you. And we ask you in faith right now that we see those lives transformed. Lord, that we see our lives transformed. That we receive this revelation today of discipleship. That the egos and the insecurities and the, the, the past hurts and the past heartaches and the past disappointments. That Lord, you heal those and restore those now in Jesus' name. That when we leave this place, we feel empowered. But not just in the jumpy, jumpy, around we had a great worship time kind of way. But in that our lives were just transformed way. Because Lord, we want to see these people saved. We want to see more people come into the kingdom. Lord, we want heaven to be full. That song, doesn't it? It says, it says you, want, you didn't want heaven without us. So Jesus, you brought heaven down. You don't want heaven without these people. They're your chosen people. Lord, we're going to be your, your co-workers. Give us those words. Give us those inspirations. Give us those timings. Give us that encouragement now. In Jesus' name. Amen.